Well, hey there, guys. Greetings and salutations, and welcome back to the channel for today's installment of Open Mic, the show where the mic is open, the floor, as they would say, is yours. What are the things you guys want to talk about? That's what we hear here to discuss today. My name, of course, is John Campia. Good to have you guys here. And uh, we've had a busy day today. We had a lot of topics this morning. Uh, a lot of stuff popped up. We were expecting a really slow news day today, actually, coming off of the Thanksgiving Day weekend, but had a couple big things. Already a couple things come up that we're going to talk about on tomorrow's show. There's, of course, a big update on the writer for Avengers. Uh, some Agatha behind-the-scenes footage has been released. There been a few other things. We're going to talk about that stuff all tomorrow, of course. But before we get going into the questions, and by the way, there are two different ways you can get a question um, on the show. Number one, the main way is if you're watching this video any of the 23 hours a day that we're not streaming it live, you can go ahead and use our tip link. You can find a link for that down below or just go to www.streamelements.com slash John Campia slash tip and then you can send it in that way. Or if you are watching live right now, you can use the Super Chat feature and send in a question that way. The Super Chats are open right now. I will give you a warning before I'm about to turn them off though because I, it's already getting a little bit full, but they're gonna be open for the next little while. Anyway, hello to everybody, guys who are in the live chat. Gray Fox, Robert, Michael, Dat Boy, Angel, Guillaume, everybody who's here. Good to have you guys here. Hey, and listen, before we get started into the questions, I wanted to kind of touch on this. I read this interesting report today. Now, whether it's true or not, we'll have to find out, but I, I still found the report interesting. That there's a report going around saying that Marvel and Disney are about to kill the Disney Plus special presentations. Now, if you don't know what that is, a special presentation isn't a series. It isn't a movie. It's kind of an in-between thing, like a 30 to 60 minute kind of thing. They've done two so far, as far as I can tell. They did Werewolf by Night and they did Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special. Now, honestly, to me, they are two of the best things that Marvel has done since the uh, since the since Endgame, as a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say this: I think Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, is the best thing that Marvel has produced since Endgame. And I include in that Shang Chi, which you know I love Shang Chi. I include in that Spider Man No Way Home, and you know I really enjoy Spider Man No Way Home. I include in that. Well, you know what? I don't know if I include WandaVision in that. I, either way, it, it, Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, which I poo-pooed. You guys know I didn't think. It's like, what's what? just do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Don't worry about this stupid little holiday special thing. It, it instantly became my favorite Christmas special. Yes, beating out Frosty the Snowman. Yes, beating out Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes, Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special is my all-time favorite Christmas special. I love it that thing. Anyway, in an era where Marvel is kind of struggling a little bit right now, when you got the two, two of the best things you've done in years and you're going to cancel this thing, well, let's talk about what their rationale may be. But first, let's go over to the actual report. Now, this is coming from comic book movie uh, writing this. According to scuba Daniel Reichman, who again is, is often right, sometimes wrong, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, the plan is to shelve them uh, the the special presentations. The plan is to shelve them after Werewolf by Night and the Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, both underperformed on Disney+. Plus. 
despite the latter being a star-studded in-between quill uh, set between Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Volume 3, we're not surprised to hear this as the marketing campaigns were both felt last minute and largely underwhelmed. Uh, where does this lead the Witches Road special expected to follow Agatha? Um, all we know right now is that it will be handled differently, suggesting it could be folded into that series, or perhaps even released on another format. Okay, so reports going around that they're going to pull the special presentations. On the one hand, and I got two minds on this. I'm I am of two minds. On the one hand, I think it would be a total shame. Because again, like we already covered, two of the best things that they've produced so far. It's also gives them a real interesting um platform to showcase certain characters that the MCU has that maybe they don't want to commit a full budget of a motion picture or a full commitment to a series to, but like, like Werewolf by Night, but you know, would make for a really good, interesting one shot story. And it gives them some flexibility and freedom to do those sorts of things. And, and for that reason, I think it would be a real, real shame um, if they were to actually, you know, cancel the pre special presentations. Now, on the other hand, the argument you could make for canceling them is these things don't make any money. Uh, I mean, the, the special presentations don't make any money because nobody buys a ticket to go see them. And let's be honest, nobody is signing up to Disney Plus to watch a special presentation. Like nobody signed up to Disney Plus to watch Werewolf by Night. No one signed up to Disney Plus to watch Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special. They might have signed up to Disney Plus to watch a Werewolf by Night series or a Werewolf by Night feature film. They might have signed up to Disney Plus to watch a Guardians of the Galaxy um, volume four, if it was straight to Disney Plus, right? Um, yeah, it just, it doesn't make them any money. You are literally just spending money to have an additional little feature on your streaming service. But I mean, again, this, this stuff was all perceived when they thought streaming was going to be everything to hell with how much it costs, just throw everything on there. So I, I am kind of of two minds. Um, on the one hand, I'm bummed out if the report is true and we don't know that it's true. Um, if it's true, I'm bummed out. But at the same time, I would understand the logic because there's no business case to be made for making them, right? There's just, there's no business case. Like justify to the executives, we should really do another special presentation. Okay, great. Tell me how it's going to profit us. Well, I can't tell you how it's going to profit you. Well, then there's nothing for us to do here. Now you can make the argument, well, sell toys. Well, there's two things about selling toys. Number one, uh, movie-associated toys do not sell anywhere near like they used to in the 80s and the 90s, right? It's just toy merchandising sales. You can have good ones, sure, but for the most part, toy merchandising based on IP has dropped considerably. Like a lot, they just don't make the same money that they used to. The second thing is um, that... Selling toys doesn't interest a producer. 
Because unless the producer has the toy rights, like the movie division doesn't get to keep money that toy sales make, right? And film divisions are responsible for their own books. So yes, you can have a great synergistic relationship between different departments of a larger company like a Disney, uh, but they're not going to make a movie that loses money just so they might be able to sell some toys and make some money over there. The whole idea is for a film division, film divisions want to make movies that make money or make entertainment that show a profit in a ledger somewhere. So selling toys doesn't really become an option either, or an answer, I should say, not so much an option, but an answer. So um, yeah. Guys, what do you think? Did you like the special presentations? There have only been two so far. I enjoyed them. I think it gives them a great avenue for certain stories to tell that otherwise maybe they wouldn't. But I kind of get why they don't. Uh, tell me what you guys think about that. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to your questions, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here with Mike P, who writes, Hey, John. I was just listening to the Avengers score by Alan Silvestri, and it made me think, the next time we see the Avengers, it will be a nearly completely new group, barring one or two. Should they compose a new score for the new team? No, absolutely not. Because the reality is, I mean, the team in Avengers 2, Age of Ultron, was different than the team in the first one. The team, and who who do you consider Avengers, but in Infinity War... And in Endgame, there were also different players. Remember, the Avengers score is not the Tony Stark score. The Avengers score is not the Captain America score. The Avengers score is not the Black Widow score. It's the Avengers. And whoever the team comprises of, that's still the Avengers. And so 100%, they should absolutely keep that iconic like there's an emotional hook in that that identifies with the Avengers. So yes, I 100% believe they will keep the main Avengers theme and I absolutely believe that they should as well. All right, thanks for the question, Mike. Next, eh, sure, I mean, look, I'm not a big fan of Valley of the Dolls. So, but I mean, I'm all for remaking it, but it, yeah, if you want to make that one, go for it. It's not one I would be particularly excited in, but anything Greta Gerwig does, she's an Oscar caliber filmmaker, whatever she does, I'm sure I'd be at least interested in checking out to see how it turned out. All right. Next up, we got the karate adult. I like that name. Uh, karate adult writes. My pitch for Creed 4, Adonis starts a new career in MMA, can't see that happening, agrees to face the son of disgraced pro wrestling champion Thunderlips in the UFC. Thunderlips trains his son to seek redemption for his legacy after sexual allegations with ring girl services. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, that's probably not going to, that's probably not going to happen. All right, uh, let's see. Next up, we go to BK Dan who writes, John, with Black Friday come and gone, are you going to do Secret Santa for family again this year? It seemed uh, such a hit for the fans of your channel. We all love to help you help others. Please let us know. Bring on the filthy. Well, obviously, this was written in before this morning. Um, but it, by the way, it's not called Secret Santa. It's called Adopt-A-Family. And, and yes, we did announce this morning that we've launched this year's Adopt-A-Family. Uh, go to the main show that we did today. Go into the description of the video and you'll find a link to the Amazon wish list. Now, here's the part I really want to emphasize is that most communities, not all, but most communities have an Adopt-A-Family program. 
Uh, just call your local city government, ask if your city government has an adoptive a family program. Most do, I think. And um, just say you would like to sign up and sponsor a family this year. And then what will happen is the city will connect you with a particular family. They'll give you their story. And then you also get a list of things that their kids would like for Christmas. That's usually pretty modest. And if you or you and a couple friends can get together and put in one, two, three hundred bucks combined and get some kids some Christmas presents on Christmas where their families can't afford to do it, it's an amazing thing to do. Ann and I have been doing it for 13, 14, 15 years. I can't remember exactly. And it's honestly like one of the things I look forward to the most every year. And it was just a couple of years ago that we started inviting our viewers to also participate. But one of the main reasons we did that was to spread awareness of the adoptive family program. And every year at Christmas, we encourage people call your local municipality, get together with a couple of family members or a couple of friends of yours, pool some resources, adopt a family and make a great Christmas for somebody. I think it's one of the best things we can possibly do. Anyway, thanks for that BK Dan. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to plug that again. All right. Next up, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, um, John, concerning the rumor of Anya Taylor-Joy joining Fantastic Four, do you see even a 5% chance that she plays Ileana Rasputin as her character isn't truly quote-unquote good in my opinion? Nah. I mean, listen, what I could buy is that if I heard that Anya Taylor-Joy was going to appear in the Deadpool movie, then I would buy she could be uh, appearing as magic, as Ileana Rasputin. I could buy that there. But in Fantastic Four, nah, I don't buy that. I, I think... Um, and by the way, I also don't buy that she would be Silver Surfer. Although I honestly, for the record, and I talked about this before on uh, Fridays, I think it was a Friday, Thursday or Fridays, um, John Camby show, we talked about the fact that I would be perfectly okay if she played Silver Surfer. Uh, it's not important that the Silver Surfer is male. 99% of the population doesn't even know the silver surfer's name. They really don't care. So it's, it's not important, but I don't believe she's playing silver surfer. If she is in, in, um, fantastic four and there are reports going around that she's in talks to play a villain. I don't think it'll be silver surfer. I honestly think it'd be somebody else, but I don't think it'll be magic. I, I don't think it'll be Ileana Rasputin. All right. I uh, could be wrong though. Well, who knows? We'll see. All right. Next up, uh, Andy from Wales, UK writes, Hey John, I've been thinking a lot about the saturation of content on streaming platforms and how it can be a problem. Marvel, uh, France has a law. Certain platforms must wait 15 to 18 months before releasing theatrical releases. I think this is smart. No. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, and I'm not hundred percent clear on what the rules are and, and when it applies and when it does not, but in France, France really supports cinema. Like, really supports cinema. But, uh, like, to the point that they have a rule of some kind. Remember, I'm not quite sure how wide the rule is, when it applies, and when it does not. But they basically have a rule that if you release a film theatrically in France, you cannot release it on home video in France for at least a year, you're saying like 15 to 16 months, whatever, but it's at least a year. Personally, I love that. Do that. I think that's a great idea. I think it would, it like would support theaters. It would support cinema. 
it would support, it would make a healthier environment for movies. We're seeing that these small little 45 day, we talked about this on the John Campus show a little bit earlier today. We are practically seeing that this 45 day release window that they have now is literally hurting the movie business. It's hurting the studios. It's hurting movies. It's hurting the theaters. It's just, and we're going to end up with worse quality as a part of it. Um, a year might be a bit much. <laughs> I say just go back to the 90 days. Um, but I, I'm not going to lie to you. I love the rule that France has. I wish more countries had it. Again, I think it's a little extreme for North America, but I wouldn't complain if they did that. I think it's, uh, in principle, it's a great idea. All right. Uh, next up, we got uh, Indira, in no, Indira, hope I'm pronouncing that right, from Winnipeg. I love Winnipeg. Writes, wish the first film in 2023 that I disagree with critics. Heartfelt, stuck to landing, Star and Valentino won the crowd who applauded after, Star and Valentino is literally a star and the little baby goat, uh, who literally applauded after, a bunny jumps on Asha's head and sings, boom, uh, did we just blow your mind to my singing? We eat the leaves and, and they eat the sun. Come on. Uh, listen, Indira, I love that you loved it. I love that you loved it. Um, and when you say you disagree with the critics, which critics, uh, did you disagree with? Because let me just check this here. But as far as I know, a lot of critics like it. I mean, at least, yeah, there it is. 50% of the critics like it. And look, the audience score is quite good. But literally half the critics like it. I always I always chuckle a little. And I'm not I'm not making fun of you, Indira. Not at all, because a lot of people do this. I always laugh a little bit when people say, I disagree. The critics got that one wrong. I'd be like, which critics? Because there is no... It, the critics are not the Borg that have one collective mind. Critics are very diverse and have wildly different opinions. A wish being a great example of this. Half of them liked it. Half of them, like me, didn't like it. So when you say you disagree with the critics, what you're saying is you disagree with the critics who didn't like it, but you agree with half of the critics who did. Uh, but at any rate, I, I am glad you liked it. Like I said, I, unlike some other people, I want people to like movies that I didn't like. Because that means it hit you in a better way than it hit me, and you got more out of it than I did. I'm not one of these people who believes, well, I didn't like this movie, so I don't want anybody to like this movie. We see those people all over the place, don't we? I don't like this, so I don't want anybody to like it. No, I I got movies like Wish that I didn't like. That's fair. I, I think it had some real problems. Did not work for me. But I want other people to like it. And uh, if there are other people who didn't, great, I can relate with them. But if you did, I'm glad because I want every movie to be great. I want people to enjoy the movies they watch. And if you enjoyed it, that's the best thing. Uh, I still didn't, but I'm glad you did. Uh, all right, let's see here. Next up, we go to uh, Ethan Holgate, who writes, one of two. Hey, John and crew. I just got out of seeing the new Barry Keoghan movie, Saltburn. So we just talked about that this morning. Uh, and holy F, it was effing brilliant. Uh, what a freaking surprise. If you haven't seen it, for the love of God, go see it. There's something in this movie you don't want to get spoiled on. Uh, what a movie... Uh, can't stop thinking about one of the best of the year and maybe a classic down the line. I think people who've seen the movie will get what I'm referring to here. In the words of Heath Ledger's Joker, it's all part of the plan, LOL. Well, listen, man, I this is one of those movies 
that Hall saying, I'm just going to uh, see if I can bring this up. This is one of those movies I've been really quite excited about. I love Barry Keoghan. I think that dude is great. Um, and I've been excited to see it. Now, there were a number of movies this past week that I wanted to see. Got around to seeing Wish. Got around to seeing Napoleon. Did not get a chance to see Saltburn yet. I'm glad you liked it that much. Now, it's not totally beloved by everybody. It's got a 69 got a 69% uh, from the critics, only a 76% from the audience right now. So we'll see. All I know is I love Barry Keoghan. I fell in love with him with in Eternals. I absolutely loved him in um, Banshees of Inner Sheeran. I think the guy is a going to be a superstar for a long time. So I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I have not seen it quite yet. All right. Next up, uh, we go to Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, John, have you had a chance to see the Max uh, teaser trailer for The Penguin yet? I swear I'm not making it up. It's on IMDb trailers. If you haven't yet, go look it up after the show. The new Kingpin of Gotham. Not sure how no one in the chat saw it. Okay, well, here now I know there was a teaser of sorts that was released for the Penguin series like before the writer's strike. Like five months ago? Five or six months ago, uh, there was a teaser trailer out for it that showed that was a mix of footage from the show, plus a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I I don't think there's a new trailer. Chef Rigo is saying it was seven months ago. Yeah, I mean, it was ages ago that it came out. Now, I'll go after the show's done. I'll go into IMDb and uh, check it out. But I've, I've got it. I'm just, it's just a guess here. My guess is what you're seeing on the IMDb page is the footage from that original uh, uh, promo buzzer that they put out like six or seven months ago. Chef uh, Rio's just, just double checked and is confirming there's no new trailer on YouTube yet. So, so there you go. It's probably, it's probably the old one that maybe you just missed when it first came out. But yes, the show looks amazing. I cannot wait to watch it. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, we've got the Hutch who also saw Saltburn. Uh, saw Saltburn. I still don't know what this movie is, but I think I liked it. It's wild, but a film hasn't stuck with me like this in a long time. Barry Keoghan gives one of the best performances of the year. He's one of my favorite actors working today. Yeah. Listen, I, in a very short period of time, I've come to really, really like, um, Barry Keegan, a hell of a lot. But you know what? When you say, I still don't know what movie I just, what it is, but I think I liked it. It's wild, but it sticks with me. You know what that reminds me of, that description? The William Defoe, Robert Pattinson film directed by Robert Eggers, Lighthouse. Did any of you guys see Lighthouse? It is called Lighthouse, right? Maybe I'm getting the name wrong. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm getting the name wrong, uh, but I think it's called Lighthouse. That... That movie, I still think about that movie every once in a while to this day. And I remember when I walked out of the movie, I'm like, I have no idea what it is I just saw. I have no flipping idea what it is uh, I just saw. It, I, it, that movie made no sense to me. Uh, I get it's based on the, um, on the tale. I understand that, all that kind of stuff. But this is why. But for some reason... I couldn't say to myself, I didn't like it. Like, it just, I don't know what the fuck I just watched. 
What a mess. And yet I still, to this day, like two years later, I still think about it once in a while. Is that good? I, I don't know. I can't tell. Um, so that kind of sounds like the way you're describing sulfur. All right, next up. We've got the dumb of all fears who writes, it's a personal issue, but my biggest complaint about the prequels was I felt it changed the saga to be a story about Darth Vader. Then the sequel trilogy did its own damage with the through line becoming Palpatine. For me, it just made them less interesting stories. Well, you know what? Listen, I, I completely detest the prequels. The prequels are a steaming pile of dog shit on another pile of garbage. They're just utterly terrible, awful things. Not that they aren't redeemable things in there. The, uh, the pod race, fantastic. The Darth Maul battle, fantastic. There's, there are elements, a duel of the fates, one of the best pieces of Star Wars music of all times came out of the prequels. There's, there's good things in the prequels, but overall steaming dog shit. That being said, that being said, I did not mind the notion that the prequels, in theory, change the focal point of the Star Wars saga from Luke to Anakin. Because when we just look at those three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, it, it makes it look like this is Luke's story with very, very strong supporting from Han Solo, Princess Leia, yada, yada, yada. But when we... I think this would be true of many stories. If we step back and suddenly now look in the span of the first six chapters, chapters one, two, three, four, five, and six, yeah, I think it just organically becomes more of a tale of Anakin Skywalker. I think really at the end of the day, I, I agree kind of with the assessment that when you look at the prequels and you look at the original trilogy and now even look at the sequel trilogy, it's not a trilogy about Luke Skywalker, and it's not a story about Anakin Skywalker. It's the Skywalker saga, right? In one set of chapters, it focuses on one generation, on another, it focuses on another character. I think it's the Skywalker saga, not the Anakin Skywalker saga, not the Luke Skywalker saga, certainly not the Rey Skywalker saga. Um but I think it's the Skywalker saga. And, and, and I, so I didn't mind that at all because you couldn't go back to before Luke was born and still have Luke be the centerpiece of it. I listen. And with all the problems with the rise of Skywalker, the fact that Palpatine was there wasn't the problem. It's the fact how they horribly misused everything in it. That was what made that movie awful to me at any rate. All right. Interesting point of view, dumb of all fears. Thanks for sharing that, man. Okay. Uh, next up. We've got D and Z writes. So while I'm somewhat curious about the character, I'm not exactly excited for Agatha Darkhold Diaries. Uh, what are your thoughts on what she can even bring into the MCU? Why should we care? Thanks. Well, I would I would say this. Why would you care about any character that they're bringing in? Like honestly, it it, it all depends on how you execute the character, right? Like prior to the first Iron Man movie coming out. I was one of those people saying, why the hell would anybody care about this basement bargain bin Walmart version of Bruce Wayne? <clears throat> That's all Iron Man is. This, this is what I thought at the time before the first Iron Man movie came out. It's a Walmart bargain bin version of Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, a multi-multi-millionaire, billionaire, 
doesn't have any superpowers, uses their powers to make toys and gadgets and armor and vehicles and things that helps them fight crime. It's just a budget, you know, Walmart version of Bruce Wayne. Who the hell cares? And at the time, I, like everybody thinks Marvel, Iron Man. But at the time, Iron Man was a B-lister. Like, it was a B-lister character. Who cared? What made Iron Man so great in the MCU was that they wrote a great character and it was performed great and all that kind of stuff. Why should we care about Agatha? The same reason you'd care about any character. Agatha, first of all, the way Agatha was portrayed in, in, in my opinion, at any rate, in uh, WandaVision was brilliant. I thought the character was fascinating and entertaining and it's, I mean, why am I freezing on the name of the actress? I love the actress. I'm freezing on her name right now. Who plays Agatha? She's from Parks and Rec. Um, somebody in the live chat, I'm having a brain freeze on the actress's name who's playing Wanda. At any rate, she is a national treasure. Like she is an absolute national. Catherine Hahn, thank you. Uh, Sapora in the live chat was the first one put in. Catherine Hahn, she is a national treasure. And the way she plays that character is fascinating. Plus, it's a whole new dimension of the MCU witchcraft. Just like Blade, if it ever gets made, Blade is going to bring us into like a whole new element of the world of vampires within the MCU. I think there's a whole lot. You got a compelling, interesting, fun character, brilliantly portrayed by a great actress, and it's adding a whole new dimension to the MCU. Now, it could be awful. It might end up being terrible, but it has great promise and great potential because of all those things. Like, so to me, that's why I, I like the idea. Uh, all right, next up. We've got BK Dan who writes, John, regarding fandom turning on a director for a movie they direct, why always the directors, why not the writer? They can uh, only do uh, with what they're given. That's not exactly true, BK. Um, listen, directors are ultimately the final voice on set of a movie, right? There can be something in a script but a lot of times, like, here's the thing. I've read, you've heard me say this before. I have read wonderful scripts that I thought were wonderful. And then I watched the movie and the movie was garbage. So much work happens in that stage between the written script and what the director ultimately takes and puts on screen and how they interpret it, how they translate it, how they bring it to life on the screen. The, the director does not work for the writers, okay? It's different in television. Television, writers are the ones who sit on the thrones. The episode directors are lower on the totem pole. But in movies, it's different. At the end of the day, everything that goes on that screen is the purview and the responsibility of the director. Yeah, they have some things working for them, some things working against them. Absolutely every movie and film director does. But at the end of the day, that's that. The other big reason is because Audiences know the names of the directors. It's rare that audiences know the name of the writers. Right? I think that's fair to say. That you go into a lot of movies and you ask the question, who wrote this movie and who directed this movie? Ten times more people will be able to answer the question who directed it than people who will be able to answer the question who wrote it. And I think the, the same is true of, of even comic book movie fans. I think if you get a lot of I'm not going to say hardest of hardcore comic book movie fans, but like some serious movie fans, some serious comic book movie fans. 
I bet if we did a quick trivia with them, listed off 10 comic book movies, I bet they'd miss at least six or seven of them. They wouldn't be able to tell you who the writer on those movies were. So, yeah. So for those two reasons, number one, the director has the power to influence the script even once it's written. And number two, audiences know who the director is uh, and they're ultimately the person in charge. So that's why the blame, fairly or unfairly, goes to the director just as a good lion's share of the credit of a great movie goes to the director instead of the writers. And if that's going to be the case, it's got to go both ways. If you're going to get most of the credit for something working and being great, then you also got to be the one to take a lot of the blame if it doesn't. So uh, that's how I see that. All right, guys, listen, we're going to switch over to you guys who are sending in your live questions. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episodes, our friends at Rocket Money and Masterclass. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, Rocket Money. Do you struggle to save money every month? With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify all those sneaky subscriptions that keep charging you month after month and cancel any you no longer use. For example, did you know that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about? It's too easy to subscribe to a free trial of something and then completely forget about it once you stop using it. That's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money. I've told you guys before that when I started using Rocket Money, I realized that I was still subscribed to a gym in another city I had moved away from two years ago. Also, my music service? Yeah, I found out I was still subscribed to two others. How much do you think you're paying a month on subscriptions? Most people think they're paying 80 bucks a month, but they're actually paying closer to 200. That's why I use Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. With over 5 million users and counting, Rocket Money has helped save its customers on an average of $720 a year and $1 billion in total total savings so far. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. We want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of this video, Masterclass. Guys, you know, as a small business owner, I am finding myself having to be in negotiations all the time, whether it's with new contractors, vendors, or even agencies that represent our company. Now, I don't like to go into these negotiations unarmed, so I found the perfect class on Masterclass, The Art of Negotiation by Chris Voss, a real-life former FBI lead hostage negotiator. Taking this class on Masterclass made me feel a lot more equipped and confident going into all these various negotiations I have to do on a regular basis. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. An annual membership starts at just $10 a month, and you get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content, insight, and much more. There are over 180 classes to pick from, everything from filmmaking with Martin Scorsese all the way to cooking with the great Gordon Ramsay. In Masterclass, you will find practical lessons that you can apply to your life and work. So guys, get unlimited access to every class. And right now, as a John Campy Show listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash campia. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off an annual membership. Masterclass.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money and Masterclass for sponsoring today's episode. By the way, I, I checked, I looked uh, over at the live chat there. A number of you guys are talking about the new Joel Kinnaman movie, Silent Night, which I think looks like fun. Side note, tonight, I believe, 
is the newest installment of AMC Theater's Screen Unseen. It's their secret screening, right? Now, it says that tonight's Screen Unseen, the mystery movie tonight, is an R-rated film running a certain amount of time. Well, Anne and I did a little bit of Sherlock Holmes work, and we found out, oh, Silent Night is rated R, and it's coming out in just a few days. And I, I, I feel very, very safe in saying that tonight's screen unseen at AMC theaters is probably Silent Night. So if you are somebody who's looking forward to that movie, and I, I think it looks like a lot of fun. It looks super violent and very, very excited for it. Uh, I unfortunately, Ann and I have plans tonight, so I can't see tonight. But if you guys are looking forward to that, Check the listings at your local AMC theater. See if there's a screen unseen tonight. It should be. And uh, I think it's a it's a 95% chance that the screen unseen tonight is Silent Night. So uh, let me know if you guys go see it. All right. That down, guys. Let's get over to your live questions that you guys have been sending in. We're going to start off with uh, Jared, who writes one of two. Hey, John, my girlfriend never watched any Marvel movies before, so we started binging the movies together. Um, and she had no interest in the Disney Plus shows. At first, it was easy for her to follow along, until we got to Doctor Strange 2, when the confusion started and it only got worse when we watched the Marvels. She felt lost with what was going on. Whose fault would that be on? Hers for not seeing the shows or Marvels? 100,000% it's Marvel's fault. 100,000%. It's Marvel's fault. This is something that started to kill the comic book industry because the comic book industry in a way um, that felt very manipulative, trying to manipulate their customers into buying more comics, they started to tie in storylines of vastly different comic titles. Like you'd be reading an issue of a comic and it come to this cliffhanger and say, find out what happens next, but not in the next issue of X-Men. Find out what happens next in issue 375 of Fantastic Four. And like, but I don't buy the Fantastic Four. I I, I collect the, the X-Men and maybe Excalibur comics, you know, at the time. You know, I, I, why I, now, if I want to continue with this story now, I got to go buy that. Okay. So you go buy fantastic Four number 375 and it would end and another cliffhanger and it's not story continues in the next up in the next issue of X-Men. No, no, no. Story continues in the next episode of Sabretooth Wolf Unleashed. It's like, but I, I'm not buying that comic. You know what I mean? Once they started making comics, your ability to follow them on your willingness to buy all the comics, it nearly killed the comic industry. It nearly killed the comic industry. And so one of the things, and I've said this before, other than the fact that they made awesome movies, the th key thing to the success of Marvel's cinematic universe was the fact that every new movie, you've heard me say this, Every movie that came out was a valid entry point for a new fan. Okay, you haven't watched the first five years of the movies? No problem. Come on in and watch this one. Come on in and watch Guardians of the Galaxy. 
You're going to be fine. You won't feel lost. Don't worry about it. You haven't seen a single Marvel movie yet? And Civil War's coming out? You'll be fine. Come on in and watch Civil War. You're going to have a great time. Yeah, some of the, you'll miss out on some of the nuance, but you're going to love it. Come on. Like, everything they put out was a valid entry point for a new fan. And so they brought in new fans by the droves. And so while the MCU started making movies that made $300, $400, $600 million, pretty soon they were making billion, 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 after billion, after billion, after billion dollar film. Because every film, they were constantly bringing in new fans, constantly bringing in new audiences and keeping the ones they've already got. It already started a little bit before this, but... I would say, as I adjust my chair, give me a second here, guys, okay, um, that the point where it became very, very noticeable that it was becoming a problem was Doctor Strange 2. Because I remember watching Doctor Strange for the first time being like, ah, heaven help anybody that didn't watch WandaVision. I love WandaVision, but I know a lot of people didn't watch WandaVision because a lot of people don't have Disney+. And... Yeah, it's just, it's become a real problem. So now, new audience members are intimidated about coming and joining the MCU. And existing MCU viewers are like, do I have to keep up with everything that they do in order to be able to go in and enjoy? Like, the Marvels, I, and listen, I think the Marvels is basically okay. I, I think there's a lot of bad things in it, but I think there was a number of pretty good things in it. Overall, I think the Marvels was pretty okay. Lower tier MCU, but pretty okay. But the thing is, who, who were you making that movie for? I love Kamala Khan. I think she's the best thing the MCU's got going right now. I think Ms. Marvel is the best thing in, in the MCU right now. But nobody knows her yet. And to put out all these trailers, and nobody knows Monica. So put out these trailers that make it look like, hey guys, we're picking up on the adventure of Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel and Photon or whatever they're going to ultimately call her. And like a, most of the audience is sitting at home going, I, I, I don't know who two of those people are. And clearly this is the continuing adventures of Monica and Kamala. So I'm going to be what the advertising for the Marvels told the audience was, you're coming in behind. It's like missing the first month of classes at college. Yeah, you can come in, but you're already a month behind. And basically all the audiences felt like, I, I, if I go watch this, I'm going to be behind. Uh, one of our viewers who's in the live chat right now, Chef Rigo, um, you know, came up to me at the gym and was like, I, we haven't seen the... Ms. Marvel or stuff. Should we even bother going? I'm like, and I struggled on how to answer. I'm like, I think you can still go watch it. I don't know that you're going to be able to appreciate as much without, but like, but I think Chef Rigo is representative of a lot of people. They're like, I haven't seen any of this stuff. Can I even go see it? Marvel has to fix this problem. And I understand it gets more and more complicated the longer the MCU goes on and the more and more movies that come out, but they've got to find a way to get back to every movie is a valid entry point for a new audience member. And nobody in the audience feels like they have to do homework 
before going to a new, going to a new Marvel movie should not be, feel like it's a labor. It shouldn't feel like you have to, it's work. It should be a joy. I shouldn't have to worry if I'm caught up on all the shows or not to be able to go and watch a movie. And this is something they, that Kevin Feige's got to address. He's got to address this and get it back to the place where every new movie is a valid entry point and people don't feel lost watching it. Uh, they got to get back to it, Jared. Anyway, by the way, I also just noticed you've sent like $30 super chats to send that in. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate your support very much, dude. That's really kind of you. All right. Uh, Ezekiel just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, Ezekiel. Uh, Chef, I was just... <laughs> Talking about Chef Rigo. Chef Rigo writes, thoughts on CM Punk returning to WWE? Uh, looks like I may have to travel to Philadelphia for WrestleMania uh, if it's him versus Seth Rollins. Listen, we have seen, and I'll keep this short, guys. I know not all of you watch wrestling. In wrestling, business is business. Like when Vince McMahon brought, help me out, guys, who was the head of Monday Night Nitro? over at uh, the Competing Wrestling Federation. What was his name again? Uh, he's the one who formed um, with uh, a Hulk Hogan. Eric Bischoff, thank you. Eric Bischoff. Uh, Michael Gonzalez is the first one to put it in, right? Eric Bischoff, and who was the head of Monday Night Nitro, right, on a competing organization. Eric Bischoff and Vince McMahon hated, hated each other. Hated each other. Um, but after the one company went out of business, Eric Bischoff's free agent, guess what? Eric Bischoff was a really good wrestling mind and Vince McMahon hired him and brought him in. And when asked about like, you, you guys hate each other. Like, like not pretend hate each, like you guys hate each other. Like, how did you, why would you hire him and bring him into your company? And Vince McMahon, for all of his faults, Vince McMahon said, because it's good business. It's good business. And if CM Punk can behave himself, you saw the pop he got. It's just good business to bring him back. By the way, let me throw this out there. I say if, if CM Punk can behave himself, he has misbehaved. He has misbehaved. With that being said, I have had the opportunity to meet with CM or meet CM Punk twice. So the first time I ever made CM Punk, it was actually in San Diego during Comic-Con. I stepped out of, me and Anne stepped out of our hotel room and sitting at the outdoor table, you know, enjoying a croissant. I'm like, that's CM Punk just sitting there. And I'm like, should I go say Hi. I don't want to enter if he's just enjoying his day. I thought, you know, I'm going to go say hi. And I went over and chatted with him. And listen, I'm not taking away anybody else's negative experiences that they've had with CM Punk. All I can tell you is my own personal experience. And my own personal experience was he was really super nice. Like I was just going to say, hey, champ, just wanted to come say hi. I think you're very talented, you know what? And then I was going to leave him alone. But he was like, oh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. What you doing in San Diego? And... He was, and we ended up talking for like 10 minutes and he was just super cool, really nice. And he didn't have to be. Um, anyway, the next time I ran into him, we were at a movie premiere 
And we were heading to the after party and we got in the elevator and we realized we were in the elevator with CM Punk. And I'm like, we met in San Diego like two years ago. And he's like, right, like outside the hotel, right? I'm like, yeah, again, super nice, super sweet guy. So I don't know what experiences other people are having. And I've only had a very, very brief experience with CM Punk. All I'm telling you is that the very few experiences I had with CM Punk, he was always really super cool. So uh, we'll see how that all goes. All right. Uh, Next up, uh, we've got Bobby Jackson who writes, the Michael Waldron news is interesting if for no other reason that they seem to be sticking with Kang unless they serpent society it. Yeah. I mean, again, the Michael Waldron thing was something that I just assumed everybody knew. Like there were reports about this out a while ago and I thought it was just kind of commonly understood at, at any rate. Um, it is interesting. We're going to talk more about it tomorrow. I do think there is a possibility, and I'm just basing this on my own speculation, not any insider information. I do think there is a possibility they serpent society it. And I think we're going to see, okay, of course, now we've got coming up Avengers Kang Dynasty. Oh, wait. And then the title spins around. And now it's Avengers blue, blue, blah, blah. The very underrated blue, blue, blah, blah comic line. Go look it up. Only us hardcore comic band f- fans know it. If you don't know blue, blue, blah, blah, you're probably just a normie. Anyway, um, I, I do think there's a chance they do that. Whether they are or not, I have no idea, but we're, we'll have to wait and see. And again, we'll talk more about the whole uh, Waldron situation tomorrow. All right, next up. Uh, we got Robert Presser who writes, Deadpool 3, the best Trinity, a nice F you to blow. <laughs> the best Trinity. Yeah, that's right, because the third Blade film is called Blade Trinity. Uh, Deadpool 3, the better Trinity. That's what, it, not the best Trinity, the better Trinity. That would be a great F you to play. It really would. Um, of course, although as, as terrible as Blade Trinity was, Ryan Reynolds was as Hannibal King was actually pretty good in it. I like the Hannibal King thing, but that's because they put all the emphasis on that. All right. Robert Presser also writes, Ray loves Rick flag until he gets a, (laughs) until he gets a trench coat. I will still never understand this, this super hot Instagram model, beautiful woman. What came to something with us because she wanted to meet Ray because she was interested in Ray and we brought Ray along and Ray didn't give her the time of day. <laughs> like paid no attention to her whatsoever. And just for those of you who haven't heard the story and then we're driving home, the very short version, we're driving home and like all of us in the car, like Ray, why didn't you like talk to what's her name? Blah, blah. She's like, nah. Like why? Showed up in that trench coat. What was wrong with the trench coat? What is she there to solve crimes? What is she doing there? She thinks she's going to solve crimes. She thinks she's going to break the case. <laughs> like because she was wearing a trench coat and this girl was hot, <laughs> like really hot. Oh, uh, anyway, must be nice to be Ray or to be able to brush off supermodels. But anyway, that's, that's the world of Ray. Ladies and gentlemen, that's chef pleasures in a nutshell right there. Anyway, Joseph Michael sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Joseph, for supporting us on that level, man. And Joseph writes, another problem with the recent Pixar Disney animation films are the budgets. Is there any way that they can be brought below $200 million and keep uh, most of their talent in California? Listen, here, this is part of the double-edged sword, right? Is that we're all yelling at 
studios and whatnot to increase quality, and we should be telling them to increase quality. We're also all yelling and screaming at studios, pay everybody more, which we should be telling them to pay people more, particularly animators and visual effects artists. But then we can't tell them to do that and then tell them, and by the way, bring your budgets down. It's like, well, which one do you want? Do you want us to pay people more or do you want us to bring our budgets down? Do you want us to keep the quality super high, the, the visual quality of what you see high, or do you want us? So it's it's tough. Um, it's tough. They, they've got, because, and particularly if you want to keep the talent in the U.S., that's even more expensive than the talent, than hiring talent overseas. So we're, we're telling them to bring the budget down, but pay people more. It's, it's a tricky thing, particularly with this, these, uh, these, you know, 3d animated films, these CG animated films, they're not cheap to make, uh, not with any level of super quality and, uh, you know, and, and having the right talent and paying the people well to do it. It's, it's tough. And that's why like, we'll applaud a movie like, wow, you were able to keep that budget down. That's awesome. But then we'll get mad at them when we found out that the, the animators had to work 18 hours a day and maybe not get work. So we, we celebrate them for keeping the budget down, but then we get mad at them for not paying their people properly. Right. And so we're just going to have to accept that if we want them and we should want them to pay and compensate people fairly that the budgets are going to be higher. It's going to cost them more money, which means they got to make more box office. All right. Next up. Um, let's see here. Uh, Alex Mata writes, I know five nights at Freddy's was being panned as a trilogy or planned as a trilogy, uh, with now close to 300 million. I can see two and three getting green lit very soon. I loved it and can't wait for more. Uh, five nights at Freddy's again is a movie. I was really excited about initially, I was disappointed with the film to be honest. I thought it was a very sloppy made movie. I felt like it was a college project movie. Um, not completely horrible. Like I'm, I'm not going to put it on any sort of uh, worst films of the year list or anything like that, but I, I was disappointed in it. But the reality is it is a movie that is making nearly $300 million, which isn't exactly a blockbuster, but they made it for bus fare. I can't remember what the exact number was for the budget on it, but it's low. They And you can clearly see by looking at the movie, it's made pretty cheap, but they kept the production budget really, really low. And um, as a result, the, it was very, very profitable. Uh, I mean, not as profitable as a billion dollar MCU film, but quite profitable nonetheless. And so uh, T3 Collects is saying it was a $25 million, but I thought it was a little bit higher than that. But either way, that's right in the ballpark. That's right in the ballpark. It was very, very... Uh, inexpensive to make, and it made money. I don't think the sequel will make as much, but I think the sequel will make money again. So yeah, they'll definitely be moving on another one soon. All right, next up, Bobby Jackson writes, I wish more people besides us here were talking about how good Monarch and Blue Eye Samurai, which I still need to finish. My goodness. First of all, I had no interest in Blue Eye Samurai. It's much like the Harley Quinn animated show. I had no interest in it till a number of you guys harped on me that I needed to watch it. My God, Blue Eye Samurai is great. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can pull something up here. Uh, Blue Eye Samurai. There it is. Uh, just so you guys know what it is uh, we're talking about. But my goodness, Blue Eye Samurai is so good. It's, it's really remarkable. I was kind of floored 
by just like how, first of all, really violent it is, how super interesting the story is, how great the characters are. It's like great adult narrative. And the whole idea that it's kind of got a little bit of um, Mulan in it, in that you've got this samurai going around the countryside that everybody's super, but she's pretending to be a guy and it's actually a girl. And they go into the societal reasons why she hides who she is and her blue eyes. The blue eyes are actually very, very important. Um, the show is phenomenal. I binged the whole series in one night. The whole series in one night. I loved it that much. I couldn't stop watching it. There's a lot of filthy in it too. A lot of, uh, you know, intermingling bodily fluids and bumping uglies. A lot of sexy, sexy sex in this show, but it's just brilliant. It's brilliant adult animation. I'm not going to say I like it as much as Arcane. I don't. Arcane is the best animated show of all time, but it's it's right up there, man. It's great. And Monarch, only three. I don't want to get overhyped because it's only three episodes so far, but so far Monarch has been really, really quite good. All right, guys, listen, we got more of your questions to get to, but before we do, we're going to take another quick moment here and thank uh, a sponsor of our show who I announced this morning just re-upped to be our full sponsor all the way through the end of 2024. Uh, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, our great friends over at Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before, I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring today's episode of the john campus show podcast and in all seriousness guys I, I like look i was spending like 60 70 80 dollars a month on one of the major carriers i am spending 15 bucks a month on mint mobile it's it's awesome. I love it. I think you guys are just wasting money. If you're not on it, you should go check it out. Check out, uh, again, mintmobile.com slash campia. All right. That done, guy. By the way, I forgot to tell you earlier, and I had turned off the super chats. Somebody just asked me about that. I turned off the super chats a while ago. I forgot to tell you guys I was turning it off. Sorry, but that's, that's why you haven't been able to get a super chat in. Uh, let's keep going here. Next up, we got uh, Calvin Servo Panel, who writes, Hey, John, I love the Percy Jackson casting, and it looks great so far. 
But watching the trailers, kids that young with swords looked a bit extra silly to me. Is there a chance the movies got right by aging them up a bit? I personally think yes. I think the movies were right to age them up uh, a little bit. I really do. I and, and I know there was some... Um, there was some discussion about that prior to the movie coming out. And I, I know, but prior to the Percy Jackson movies coming out, some people, there was some, you know, a little bit of backlash about them being a little bit older than they in the book. Me, I never read the books, so I couldn't care less. I mean, I couldn't give two squirts of urine about whether or not the kids were a little bit older in the show, in the movies than they were in the books. I never read the books, so I didn't care. Um, and of course, that really offended the fans of the books that I didn't care, but I didn't care. I'm just being honest. That being said, these aren't just normal kids, right? These are demigods. These are demigods. And while they're just kind of portrayed as standard regular kids... I think we have to understand there is something fundamentally different about them um, than normal kids that age. It, it's much like Spider-Man. Like, I remember I would make the argument that I, I don't want to see a little teeny bopper Robin running around swinging a stick at criminals with machine guns. And people would say to me, but John, you like, uh, you like Spider-Man and Spider-Man's a high schooler. Spider-Man is a God. By mortal standards, Spider-Man can lift 10 tanks over his head. He's got superhuman speed and he's got magical spider sense. What the hell? How do you biologically explain, explain spider sense but he's got magical spider sense he's a fucking god he's spider-man he is beyond superhuman so yes if a little teenager has the powers of the gods then yes now i want to address this because this is a common one i often get well what about hit girl what about Hit Girl? Hit Girl didn't have powers. Yes, because Hit Girl is a comedy character in a smoof, in a spoof movie. Hit Girl is a comedy character in a comedy spoof movie, right? Kick-Ass is a spoof movie. And if you want Robin to be a spoof character, that's fine. But... Yeah, don't compare. The, they are two very, very different things. If, like, uh, Kick-Ass was a serious comic book movie, which it wasn't, it, and it was glorious the way it is, then maybe you can make that argument. But, yeah, no, Hit-Girl. Hit-Girl is a perfect character for that kind of movie. But that's not what the DCU should be. It should be something different. But, yeah, Spider-Man is a very, very different thing. So, yes, I... I get what you're saying about it does look a little bit odd that kids that age are swinging around swords. I think it's imperative. And I, hopefully the movie will really impress this on us or the show as we're watching it, that these are not exactly normal kids, right? These, these are more than just uh, kids per se. So hopefully the, the series does a good job communicating that. All right. Mike's Movie Madness writes, Hey John, just uh, started what we do in the shadows and I love it. But who did the better orgy episode shadows, the boys 
or Harley Quinn? Woo, what we do, first of all, I, I, you know I love it. My favorite things in movies or TV is when I think something is dumb and then I end up loving it. Harley Quinn, Blue Eye Samurai. Uh, there've been a couple things. I said, what a dumb idea to turn what we do in the shadows, this great TV show, and you're going to turn it into some poor man's version of it by just knocking it on TV and making it a show. That's stupid. It's one of the best things on TV. If you guys don't watch what we do in the shadows, watch what we do in the shadows is absolutely incredible. As far as the great orgy scenes, the yeah, I got to give it to the boys. I got to give it to the boys. Although I will say this, the, the orgy scene in Harley Quinn gave us one of the greatest lines in television history where uh, the orgy hasn't started yet, but everybody's gathered around. It's kind of like a social party. The orgy is about to break out and they see Bane is there. And Bane is one of the great characters on television. And Bane is eating this big bowl of pasta. And Bane, what are you doing? Bane's I'm carving up for the fuck fest. It's just one of the greatest lines ever. I love it. But yeah, I, I gotta say the orgy scene in the boys is probably the scene. It reminds me of most of the orgies that I go to. I, I no, but the boys is the boys one. I got to give it to the boys. All right. Next up, Benjamin prime rights. Have you read the new Transformers comic from Skybound Image Comics? Nah, not, not interested in Transformers comics. Even when I was a kid, I really wasn't interested in Transformers comics. I love Transformers, but as far as I was concerned, the only Transformers was the animated show. That was it for me. I'm not saying I was right to think that way or feel that way, but I, I'm not, not into it on the... Uh, on the uh, I'm not into the Transformers in the comics. I want to see Transformers. I, I don't want to read them. Again, not, not saying that anybody else should feel that way. That's just the way my mind's kind of worked on it. All right, Q writes in and writes, Hey, John, just went to the AMC Burbank 16 to watch The Boy and The Boy and the Heron, another wonderful film by Heo Miyazaki. Have you seen it yet? No, I didn't even know it was in theaters here yet. I was aware it was coming, but I had no idea it was even, they were even putting in an exhibition yet. And you know what? That makes sense. Because the AMC Burbank 16 does like every once in a while, they do like a, it's either a Miyazaki festival. I think every year they either do it. It's either a Miyazaki festival or a Studio Ghibli festival. It's one of the two. So anyway, it makes sense that it played there. I didn't even know it was playing it. So no, I have not seen that yet, but I, I'm very excited to see it. I want to see it because it's, you know, it's Miyazaki. All right. Guillaume LaBelle writes, uh, watch Clerks 3 last night. I have mixed feelings. Way more emotional and dark than I expected. Not very funny, though. Clerks 2 is still my favorite. Yeah, I, I was late to the Clerks 3 party. I enjoyed it. It was better than I thought it would be because I'll be honest, I haven't liked a lot of the Kevin Smith. I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith. I will be for my whole life. That said, I haven't, if I'm being honest, I haven't been the biggest fan of a lot of his stuff recently. That said... Um, Clerks 3 was much better than I thought it would be. And, and you're right, more emotional, all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't touch Clerks 2 for me. Clerks 2 is a very, very, very special film to me. Um, I think it's the best of the Clerks films. I think it is Kevin Smith's best movie. 
all due, all due respect to Chasing Amy, and which is, by the way, I know a lot of you guys haven't seen Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy is so good. It deserves the reputation it has. But Clerks 2 is just a brilliant thing to me that it, it was something, this is part of the whole all film is subjective thing to me because the, the theme of the movie was something that when I saw it for the first time was speaking directly to an experience I was in the middle of having. And it was ridiculously hilarious. So the movie was ridiculously hilarious on its own, but the main theme of it was speaking directly to a situation I happened to be in right at that time in my life. And so for that reason, it's it's always going to be a very, very special movie to me. I love that movie. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so yeah, Clerks 3 was really good. I, I enjoyed it, but Clerks 2 is easily the best of the, the franchise for me. All right. Raymond Verrata writes, uh, this is Spinal Tap sequel to film in February. Is that true? Are they getting the guys back together again? By the way, did you know one of the guys in Spinal Tap is one of the main voices in the Simpsons? The short guy in Spinal Tap, he does like, he's been a part of the main core Simpsons thing for a really, really long time. Um, and uh, anyway, um, it, but it goes to 11. I love Spinal Tap. Are they actually, I had no idea they were making another one. Okay, I'm gonna have to look into that, Raymond. Thank you for sharing that with me, man. All right, next up, uh, Brendan Millspa writes, uh, bummed out the special presentations are done. Remember, they might be done. This is a report going around. I cannot validate the legitimacy of it. Uh, it. It is coming from a source that is often right, sometimes not right. So don't take that as gospel truth yet, but it, it does look like it could be possible. Um, bummed out that the special presentations are done, but if it means better quality for the main films, then I'm okay with it. Um, uh, I'd, I'd kill to go back to old Marvel. Yeah, man, listen, we talked about this a lot, but, you know, I think we just took it for granted when we were in the middle of the golden couple of years that was the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because we went a good, like, seven years, it felt like, that every time, you've heard me say this, every time a new Marvel movie was coming out, we went... 100% 100% expecting it to be awesome. We just expected it p- to be awesome because every time Marvel came out with a movie, almost every time, but almost every time Marvel came out with a new movie, it was awesome. The audiences loved it. The critics loved it. The box office loved it. It was always a smash hit. Boom, 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 boom. The type of success that no movie studio could do. No movie studio could put out stuff at that pace. It was incredible. Absolutely great. And they were so good at it. I think we took it for granted. I I know. I think I did a little bit. The audience took it for granted. And now, um, now we're in a place where, where we used to go into a new Marvel expecting it to be awesome. Now we go into a Marvel film just hoping it'll be good. We used to go expecting it would be awesome, and now we go just hoping that it'll, it'll be at least good. And you're right, man. I would love to go back to that era now, now that I know not to. And if it comes back, if Kevin Feige is able to bring that magic back, I won't take it for granted again. 
And I hope more of us won't take it for granted again. All right. David uh, Cushmore writes, is there going to be a seventh Terminator movie? I really doubt it. Will Linda and Arnold be in the movie? Well, see, here's the thing. Um, James Cameron, a couple of months ago said from, you know, while at a conference said that he was working on developing a new Terminator movie that would be really more focused on AI and, and all this kind of stuff. And he was going to make another Terminator movie. But the reality is, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, James Cameron is going to be tied up with Avatar sequels, I think, for the rest of his career. Because maybe one of you guys can look it up. Can you, can you one of you guys look up how old is James Cameron right now? Good Canadian kid, James Cameron, by the way. But if one of you guys can look that up, and uh, throw it in the uh, in the live chat there. I'd appreciate that. But he's going to be working on these. Um, <laughs> he's going to be working on these movies for like the next five six years. Now Blake Keller is saying he's seventy four. I don't think he's seventy four. No, everybody else he's sixty nine. Okay, <laughs> the magic age sixty nine. That's when you ought to be partying it up, James. A uh, good Canadian kid, James Cameron said he was going to work out, but honestly, I I don't think he will. Number one, I think he's going to be working for the rest of his career on these Avatar things. Number two, the market is just not asking for another Terminator movie. Uh, and number three, Arnold has said that he's probably, he's done playing Terminator. So you wouldn't see Arnold or Linda back probably. I mean, look, you had Arnold and Linda in a previous one and nobody was interested. Nobody went to go see it. So I, I really don't think we will. Maybe somewhere down the line, like in 10 years, maybe somebody reboots Terminator. That's possible, but I, I don't see there being a, a seventh Terminator. And again, maybe there will be. I, I don't know this is fact. I'm just guessing. But I don't, I'll don't. i be surprised if there was another Terminator. I don't think anybody's asking for it. All right. And then we end things off here with King Daddy Go to writes, uh, watched When Evil Lurks on Shudder. It's brutal. Uh, have not seen it myself. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, King Daddy Go to... Um, is saying in the live chat that uh, 69 is the new 21, John. It kind of is. You look at some dudes today. How old is George Clooney? I know that's a random question. Uh, George Clooney age. But George Clooney is 62. Um, and he's still like the freaking playboy of the planet. Uh, how old is Robert Downey Jr. now? Robert, uh, uh, how old is uh, RDJ uh, Robert Downey Jr. is 58. He's like 42. He look, he could pass like 42, 43, whatever. It is, some of these guys, man, some of these guys, it's, uh, it's kind of nutty, uh, how great a lot of them look. Um, at any rate, I, I have not seen when evil lurks King daddy goat, unfortunately not seen it myself, so I can't comment it on, but I'm glad you enjoy it. And a movie on shutter being brutal, uh, not surprising. And all right, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of Open Mic. Thank you so much for coming and spending some time with me this afternoon, guys. Big special thank you to all of you who sent in questions, number one, because you gave us interesting things to talk about, but number two, you supported our channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the channel, thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, speaking of support, I know I never do. I know all the YouTubers... Every fucking video, like and subscribe. So, but like at least once every three weeks, I've been told by my staff, I'm supposed to tell you guys to like and subscribe. So 
I don't ask you guys to do it often. I promise I never will ask you often, but uh, if you don't mind, click like, click subscribe, all that kind of stuff. It'd be great if you did. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here, my friends. I'll see you tomorrow on the John Campy Show. And until then, everybody, orgy.